need to make regarding promotion Sunday. Uh, first, is uh, Dutch Arnold anywhere nearby? Dutch, are you around here? Some of you know, uh, this past week I took a few days off, so if you called and didn't get a return call, it wasn't because I was ignoring you, it was just because I wasn't here to take the calls. This week I'll be back in. During the course of uh, those days off, one of the things I tried to do was to read a few things, to educate my few, myself on a few things that I just don't normally read about. Um, I was lying awake in, in bed one night and realized uh, as I was thinking about the created order and my children learning so much about science and the world that God has made, and I just realized it's just gotten to be ridiculous the amount of times that they ask me a certain question on something, and I have to say, I don't know, and I'm getting tired of that answer, having to say that, and so I decided to learn some things about trees uh, this week. Um, I don't know a lot, but just in terms of how to identify them. The leaves, the bark, the, uh, the structure, all those different kinds of things. And you probably know that you can tell the age of a tree by its, the width of the trunk, right? Now, there's a brutal way to do that. You can just cut it down and count the rings. But another way is to get up right up on it. Just stick your chest right up on it and wrap your arms around the trunk of that tree. And if you can get your arms around it, the age of the tree on average is about 50 years. If it takes two people... About 100 years, and you just extrapolate from there. But you know that each person is about 50 years uh, on that. Well, you know that works. It struck me this morning as I was thinking about that. That works, getting our arms around things and trying, or in order to to understand and exhaust what they are, and just you know completely get what it is the thing is. This, in this case, a tree. That works with parts of God's creation, but that doesn't work with God Himself. You can't. Get your arms around him and then just exhaust understanding of who he is. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. Um, in his love, in his faithfulness, in his justice, his holiness, all those things. We can't get our arms around him, but the beauty of it is, and you know where I'm going with this, He's got his arms around us. This one whom we can't get our arms around has his arms around us and is drawing us, even this morning. Why else are you here? But in some way, even if someone else dragged you out of bed, he drew you here with those strong arms. And that's good. Why ever we're here this morning, that's good. Let's prepare our hearts for worship, worship of the one who holds us within his arms and draws us near. I think now this is uh, two out of three times that I've been up here on crutches. I think it's about time that the uh, building committee consider putting in a wheelchair access ramp. <laughs> 
Have you ever taken the time to uh, fill out a resume or an application? Somewhere, usually on one of those places, there's a, a place, a little category that says hobbies. One of the things I've found out over the years is as I uh, come to that section, I'm kind of a boring person because it's hard for me to think of any hobbies that I have. But uh, one thing I, I can readily put down in that section is reading. Now, that might kind of strike you as uh, maybe strange, but I think hard and, and fast, and I think, what else do I do? And I do a lot of reading. That wasn't always true, though. That wasn't always true. Growing up, uh, I was not a reader. I loved being outdoors. In summertime, it was baseball and fishing. And in the wintertime, it was wrestling and ice skating. And every once in a while, every once in a while, a book would fall into my lap. I don't know how it got there, but I would actually find myself opening up and perhaps reading. One of the books that I liked and I read over and over again was a book by uh, Isaac Asimov, The Martian Chronicles. I don't know if you've ever read that, but uh, it's a good book. At least it was when I was growing up, and um, I enjoyed that. Cheryl will tell you, though, I, I probably have a, quite a few things that I read around the house. There's all kinds of magazines that I have halfway opened up and laying around. She has to pick up afterwards uh, some biographies, some uh, uh, theological books. And I have a bad habit. I'll, I'll read them, and then I'll stop, and then six months later I'll pick them up and start reading them again. What, but, but when we're talking about reading, let me just ask, as I was thinking about this, what kind of, what kind of reading do you like to do? Is it a, a, a biography or a, an autobiography? Uh, perhaps history, or perhaps like the, the Martian Chronicles, uh, you like a, a good mystery book. As I leave the um, grocery stores, as I leave the PX, Kroger, Walgreens, I can tell that romance novels are very popular. Because I can't hardly get out of those stores without bumping into several racks where couples are swooning in each other's arms, and I have to block my eyes so that I'm, I don't blush. I, I might take a sneak peek, though. I don't know what kind of books you like to read, but thinking about mysteries and thinking about the Martian Chronicles, you know, mysteries and suspense books are very popular. And uh, mystery writings and suspense writings don't always take the form of a book, though. I'm sure there are many a time when a teacher, a professor, receives a, an exam back in from their students, an essay exam. And uh, as they read it, they're thinking, what is this student trying to say to me? I can remember many an exam question. I had no idea what the answer was, but I was going to put everything I knew down on that piece of paper and let the professor figure it out, and hopefully I would get a passing grade. This is an election year. Politicians are running, and sometimes politicians say everything and at the same time say nothing. You know, there are even preachers that I hear who after they've done, they've completed their sermons, their congregations are scratching their head saying, what did he just say? I hope that that's not the case this morning, but it could be. Mysteries do take many different shapes and many different forms. And I like 
to believe that one can even consider God to be a mystery writer. The greatest mystery writer in all of history. But not in the sense that you and I are left hanging. That we are left wandering. That we are unclear as to what God is trying to say to us. But that he clearly proclaims what he wants us to know. As we look at this text this morning from Ephesians chapter 3, I believe that we can see not one, not uh, two, but three mysteries that God wants to reveal to each and every one of us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul writes these words, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, Although I am the least, I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, through and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which is your glory. First mystery I think we see in this passage is the mystery of grace. The mystery of grace. Paul begins this portion of scripture. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he breaks off. I don't know if it is in your, in your Bible, but in, in the NIV version here, there's like a little dash. And it's like, it's like Paul stops and he, his train of thought is changed. He breaks off and resumes that train of thought in verse 14. But I think as Paul is writing about the unity of believers and the oneness that is in Christ, which he begins in chapter 2 there, he stops and he takes a moment to reflect back on his own personal salvation experience. In verses 2 and 3, Paul once again reminds the Ephesians, as well as us, that this knowledge he has received 
is something that was given to him. Paul was a recipient of this mysterious revelation, made known to him personally by the grace of God. I don't think Paul is using the word mystery simply to refer to revelation though made to him, but also to the mysteriousness of grace that was shed upon his life that day as he traveled that Damascus road. There are a number of passages of scripture that I think give us a glimpse of what Paul is talking about and thinking about this mysteriousness of grace. On that day, on the Damascus road, it wasn't just an ordinary day in his life, but it serves as a reference point for Paul to look back on his life without Christ and to look forward as he lived his life as a disciple of the Lord. And over time, the significance of this mysterious grace which invaded his life only increases with time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, scholars say that this was written around 55 A.D. Paul writes this, For I am the least of the apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. In this passage I read this morning, again, scholars say that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, while he was under house arrest in Rome, probably around 60 to 62 A.D., about five to seven years later. And Paul writes, To me, who am the least of all of God's people, this grace was given me. And finally, again, drawing upon Paul's writings from 1 Timothy, he writes these words. So again, scholars say around 65 to 68 A.D., about ten years later from when he first wrote that Corinthian letter, Paul writes, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, I'll tell you what I see in these passages of Scripture. And maybe I'm just imposing something here, but I don't think so. From these passages of Scripture, we see over time that Paul saw himself, at least initially, that he was the least of the apostles in that context. And then as time went on, he saw himself as the least as he compared himself to believers in general. But as time continues on, he sees himself as the chief of all sinners. Of all sinners. Like the illustration of getting your arms around a tree. Over time, Paul was understanding the depth and the, 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 the greatness of his sin. It wasn't just that he was a sinful apostle or a sinful believer, but he was the chief of all sinners. Paul did not only see himself, though, as a sinner amongst men, but sees himself 
who he, as he truly is before God and ultimately God alone, apart from this amazing grace that touched his life. Not only was the depth of sin, of Paul's sin and sinful nature being more clarified, but the wonder, the splendor, and the matchless grace of God was being even more magnified in his life. What about you? What about myself? Over time, do we understand the depth of our sin? Do we even begin? I don't know. Sometimes I uh, think about things. I remember things that uh, are shameful. All of a sudden, you know, I think about those things. That, you know, that, and I think, did I really do that? Did I really say that? And, you know, it only begins to scratch the surface of what my sinful nature is truly all about. That perhaps came to light many, many years ago. I don't think I've ever shared my testimony in church here, have I? I don't think I ever have. And I I won't go into great detail, but uh, when I was at the University of Maryland, finer, higher institute of education, I was taking a, a, a speech class, speech 101. And uh, my roommate and I, we were in the same class, lectured 400 and some students in the class. University of Maryland had some wonderful small group interaction. My zoology class was done uh, video or closed circuit television by a professor 20 years before. Wonderful setting for education. But this, this speech class, uh, 400 and some students. But it broke down into smaller recitation classes. So my roommate and I, Rich Weigel, we got the brilliant idea. Hey, we're in different recitation classes. Why don't we just do the same speech? Nobody will ever know. Great idea, Rich. That's why you're smart. I'll do it. And we decided we would do the same speech. And the speech, the topic that we we chose, and again, it's embarrassing to say, but being uh, such scholars that we were, we figured we would uh, do a persuasive speech on, on, on why prostitution should be legal. Now, I, had, you know, I always thought I was a pretty good person. It was in that speech class, though, after giving those fine speeches, which I can't remember the grade I got, there was a gentleman, there was a, another student who stood up and gave a speech, a persuasive speech, Uh, about Christ and uh, the wonder of who Jesus Christ was and why he is the Son of God. Well, I don't remember much about that speech either, John Fitzgerald gave, but I remember at one point during the speech, he was describing a person's life apart from Christ, being like a train flying down a mountain on tracks, and rounding a turn and flying off that track out to destruction. That was my life. I could understand what John Fitzgerald was talking about. And that was the beginning, I believe, well, not the beginning, because I know it long happened before that. But that was a very clear time I could look back on and say, God intervened by His grace in my life and drew me to salvation 
about a year later. Sometimes people ask the question, why does God save some people and not save others? But the real question that should be asked is why does God save any of us at all? When you stop and you think about yourself and think about the grace of God in your life, it is truly a mystery that has been revealed by none other than the living God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that grace of God, how do we know that? Does that just simply come out of thin air? It does not. A while back, in a a men's Bible study, I think here at CPC, Richard was going through a document called the Heidelberg Catechism. And I had to look it up because I don't own my own copy. But question 18, I remember that session. Question 18 uh, that Richard was covering with us that day uh, asked this question. And who is the mediator, true God, and at the same time truly human and truly righteous? The answer, of course, is, is Jesus Christ. But question 19 asks the more important question, perhaps, for us today. How do you come to know this? How do you come to know that Jesus is that true God mediator? The answer, the Holy Gospel tells me. God himself began to reveal the Gospel in paradise. That question is answered in the Catechism. And later he proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets, portrayed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and finally he fulfilled it through his own dear Son. The second point this morning is that the mystery of the Gospel is none other than the mystery of Christ revealed to men and women once and for all. Yes, this message of God, this good news has been revealed to you and me, has mysterious dimensions, implications for our daily lives, which perhaps it's hard to grasp, which are not perhaps initially grasped as one believes in Christ and that he died for their sins and raised from the grave to give them life. But as the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel unfolds and continuously unfolds in a person's life, there are three aspects of this gospel mystery which Paul wants you and I to know. The first is this, that all believers become heirs through the gospel. Secondly, that all believers become servants of the gospel. And thirdly, that all believers become proclaimers for the gospel. Again, it's important to notice in this scripture this morning, in the second half of chapter 2, going into greater detail, Paul talks about the unity and the oneness in Christ. In verse 14, Paul describes this whole multitude, us here, as the family of God. But the mechanism, the vehicle through which this unity and oneness takes place is none other than the gospel of Christ. You see, the mystery of the gospel is that it is not simply a message of salvation for us individually. For you as an individual, or for you as an individual, or for you as an individual. For us to live as individuals, to love the Lord our God, the Lord our God with our heart, our soul, strength and heart and mind, is true. But for you and for you and for you as joint heirs, 
as God's covenant people. It is here and now that we are to live together and to love the Lord your God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our strength, and with all of our minds together as one people. That effective working of His power is difficult sometimes. Families, members quarrel and find themselves at odds more often than we like to admit. But as joint heirs, let us realize that we share in the same reservoir of grace that is found in the gospel of salvation and that God intends to work change in your lives individually but in our lives corporately as His people. God will do for us what we cannot and if I can add, oftentimes wish not to do. When we are able to love our neighbors as ourselves, it will begin here in the church. But in order, I think, for us to become heirs together in the gospel, we must also become servants of that gospel. Paul says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me. Do we really know what it means to be a servant? Do we really know how to live being set free from sin and being a slave unto God? The mystery of the gospel in making us servants begins and ends with us having the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in his likeness. A servant, a slave, does not have his own choosing. They do the bidding of their master. And so we have to ask ourselves, who is our master? Have we spent time before our master's face and listening to his voice? In an article entitled, Practical Implications of a Calvin of Calvinism, got to throw something in there. A guy by the name of Reverend Al Martin, great preacher, great writer, writes this, and I'm going to substitute something. His first sentence is this. This is how God makes a man a Calvinist. I'm going to scratch that word Calvinist. I'm going to say, this is how God makes a man a servant. In one way or another, he gives him such a sight of his, God's, own majesty and sovereignty and holiness as the high and lofty one, that it brings with it a deep experimental acquaintance with human sinfulness, personally and in our own generation. It brings experimental acquaintance with the grace of God, an intimate acquaintance with the voice of God, an utter resignation to the will and the ways of God. In the gospel, the grace of God is revealed. 
It is revealed not for our exaltation but for, or for our doing, but for our undoing, and should cause us to cry out as servants, Dear God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. We can never begin to grasp the depth of our sin and even the greater depth of God's grace as shown forth in the forgiveness through Christ. But as you and I ponder these truths and apply them personally, then we will be able to be free and have confidence to proclaim the gospel boldly. Again, Paul says that it's this commission to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. You see, part and parcel with receiving this mystery is passing it on to the next person. Think about it for a minute. The mystery of the gospel transformed one person's life, Paul, and it changed his world and ours as well. Can that happen today? Of course it can. But one may say, oh, listen, evangelism, that's not my gift. Mercy, yes. Service, yes. Helps, yes. But evangelism, oh, that's not my gift. I I like that old saying, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. I, I like that too. But when I bring that in line with Scripture, it doesn't hold much. For let me share a word of encouragement to you that has been an encouragement to me. Again, Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Listen to how Paul came to them. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Does that describe you sometimes when you've shared the gospel? Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. The gospel mystery puts a calling on a believer's life to be servant heirs, co-laborers in his vineyard, proclaiming the new the good news of Jesus Christ for his world. The mystery of grace. The mystery of the gospel. And finally, for a few moments before I close, the mystery of God. You know, as I was coming to this part, as I was writing these thoughts, two, two main thoughts started to dominate my, my thinking. One that by this time, in the service, people would start seriously looking at their watches. And two, how can I begin that which seems almost impossible to finish? When I speak of the mystery of God, maybe this would be a good time to say amen and close with prayer. But I won't. The first thing, let me just say is this. When considering the mystery of God, we understand and need to understand that the mystery of God is found in the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
And these unsearchable riches of Christ can be experienced and are within your reach. Paul's life is testimony to that fact. And his desire for you and me is to know that. Perhaps this morning, there is someone here whose life may not be like a train running down a track and flying off the tracks. But maybe this morning there's someone here whose life, you don't know what your life is about. It's unanchored. It's flying around like a whirly derby and you need something. And you're not quite sure what. You need Christ and Christ alone. This morning, turn to Christ. Admit and call out to Him that you have rebelled against God and that you need Him in your life. Call upon the Lord and be saved, for He is patient and willing and not wanting you to perish, but to turn in repentance in faith to God. The unsearchable riches of Christ can be continued to be experienced by those who are already resting in Christ as well. Again, the writer of Hebrews admonishes believers. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptism and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. What I'm saying is this that no matter where you are in regards to your relationship with God, the richness of knowing Christ can never, never be exhausted. This morning, are you willing to go deep? Are you willing to go deep and long with the Lord? A while back, I heard Robbie Zacharias say this in a radio program. He said this, The Word of God is like a pond that was shallow enough for a child to wade into, but also deep enough to drown an elephant. That will work here as well. The mystery of God is shallow enough that a person can wade into with childlike faith, but deep enough that even a master diver can never reach the bottom. Secondly, an equal if not profound, more profound mystery of God is this, at least from a human perspective, is that it was God's intent, His purpose for the church, the body of Christ, to reach out, to reach out beyond the present time and space dimensions and declare the wonder of His majesty and kingdom and power and glory to the world, yes, even to the heavenly realms. What we do now has an impact in eternity. What we do today has an impact beyond what we can see with the visible eye. Billy Graham was once asked with, the, with so many more capable and more educated preachers in the world, why do you think God has chosen you or uses you to be the evangelist to the world, to the masses. And Billy Graham, in his humbleness, said to the reporter, I don't know, 
Well, that will be the first question that I ask God when I get there. Billy Graham is just a jar of clay like each one of you that has been touched by God's hand and possesses the power, this treasure, to show that the all-surpassing power in your life is from God and not from us. And that truly is a profound mystery. The mystery of grace, the mystery of the gospel, and the mystery of God. May God continue to show you the height and the depth, the width and the length, and the full measure of these mysteries today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, who of us can stand before you and claim that we know anything about you in our own ability, in our own mental proudness, in our own intellect, in our own insightfulness. Father, your word says that not only did we live in the darkness apart from you, but that we were darkness. It is by your grace as proclaimed through the gospel that your your mystery of who you are is clearly revealed to us. Continue, Lord, to peel back the scales that are on our eyes. Continue to massage our hearts and turn them from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Continue to reveal to us the depth of our rebellion and the battle of the flesh that still wages within us. And yet, Lord, be merciful to us and show us your love your grace, your forgiveness in Christ Jesus to remind us that our sins are thrown into the depths of the sea and forgotten by our Lord. We ask the Lord this morning that you would draw us closer to you and that you would use us as humble servants, as obedient slaves to do your bidding for your glory. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.